Hi, I'm Otto. Welcome to Erin Sarah's podcast. You guys, you are not going to want to miss this episode. Well, first of all, he's one of our most popular episodes before. You know, when you have amazing guests, you're like, do we even want to have them back? Because how could we possibly top the first time having them on? This episode is maybe one of my favorite conversations we've ever done. I'm just going to go out and say it. Just really like Todd. Um, You're not going to want to miss this episode. Todd Rose is one of our favorite guests we've ever had. He is a co-founder and president of Populous. They are a think tank committed to ensuring that all people have the opportunity to pursue fulfilling lives in a thriving society. And he is also the author of multiple best-selling books. Um, we have a really fascinating conversation. We have we talk about the importance of voicing your real opinion and not just what you think people want to hear um, and why we should get comfortable being uncomfortable and waking up with purpose, hustle culture, a lot of things. We also were having a hard time, I think, having a conversation about the obvious thing happening in the world right now. And he really helped us have that conversation. And I think it, I think in a really respectful way to everybody. So I love this guy. I want to like, be his friend. I want to hang out with him. I want to go to dinner with him. I put it. Well, out there. He's a married man. I think you need to be more respectful. His wife is invited. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Listen and enjoy. Hey, well, I got to zoom this back in. Now you saw the behind the scenes. Oh, oh no. It's, it, it's, you saw how the sausage is made. It's ruined. The prestige is over. <laughs> so, Todd, are you for, are you aware of how much people loved our last episode? You get it, right? People were obsessed. Oh, good. Yeah, it was so I And honestly, I was a little surprised because you are very smart. And Why I am surprised that he's smart. And I am dumb. <laughs> and some of the things that you were saying, I had to like listen to it two or three times to be like, to fully absorb like what we were discussing. And I was very impressed that our audience is is really bright and they like fully got it the first time. Oh, I'm not I'm not just saying this. It was by far my favorite conversation I've had in a really, really long time. So um because I, I I again respect the hell out of the two of you for I, I think just being able to try to be yourselves and show people like so many people don't let people see behind the scenes and don't, you know what I mean? And we give a false view of how people succeed and how they live their lives. And anyway, but so so let's let's talk about Todd. We, it was a very great episode we had with you last time. We feel so connected to you. It's been like two years since we saw saw you, right? Yeah. It's crazy. So you have done a lot of new research since the last time that we spoke. That is very interesting. It's a topic that Sarah and I ponder a lot, disagree with each other on, struggle ourselves to figure out, which is what success looks like, what success feels like. Sarah and I, you know, look at our careers and and sometimes what our what our motivations are, and like we wonder why the success of something doesn't bring us happiness, or um, why we're focused on other people seeing success, you know. And this is a big thing that I think a lot of people I know our listeners um, they they feel more stressed about the shame collectively in front of their friends if they're not married yet or if they haven't had kids yet or if they aren't as successful as a friend or their house isn't as big or they failed or they got divorced or whatever those things those things are for them. It's almost like the fear of judgment is so much bigger than the the failure. And so you've done a lot of research about what success really looks like for people. Talk to us about that. Yeah. So look, you're right. 
I mean, the thing that's interesting about success is it's both personal and almost inherently social. Uh, I want to do things that I'm proud of, but I, I do want you to see it. And I, and I want you to recognize me for who I am, right? So that social part makes it a little tricky because we can easily get swept up into just doing whatever it is people would recognize as successful. And then we lose the internal part. So I was interested, my team was interested in this broader conception, and we'll kind of get to this throughout the episode, I believe, on this, uh, the American dream. Because it's something that all we, we only hear from it from like super old politicians now, and it drives me nuts, right? But it does matter for success, which is this was a core American ideal about what it meant to live a good life and what we would owe each other. And this guy, James Trussell Adams, first coined it during the Great Depression. And he he said, it's not about just being rich, right? It, it's actually more fundamental than that. It's like that you believe you live in a society where you have choices and you can define the life you want to live and that you think you have a fair shot to achieve it, even if no one else cares about your view of success. So I've always cared about that. So, you know, we started this project first trying to see how people thought about it, about the American dream. And sure enough, you see people still are committed to this idea. It's about personal success. But like we talked about last time I was here, these idea of collective illusions where we think everybody else thinks something they don't. Well, guess what? In America today, people think that most people see the American dream as just financial prosperity, just getting rich. And 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 I also just want to ask you how the American dream looks different to people who grew up in America and people who are immigrants. Because I have immigrant in-laws and it's a very, very different thing. Well, it's funny. It's it's um there's also a stronger commitment to it, ironically. Completely. Right. For people, because they come here, this idea that anything's possible, right? They often are, are coming from countries where maybe because of their beliefs or their gender or whatever, their nationality, they might not even have rights. And suddenly to get to a place where if you work hard, you can actually get as far as your ability would take you, that is an incredible promise. And that's a good way to look at it because I'm so critical of America. I, as someone who grew up here, I'm always frustrated with my government. I'm frustrated with the policy around me. And I don't have this like deep pride of like being an American because I see so many things we, that we fuck up with all the time. And I look at immigrants and, and I go, God, like they really love America. You know, it's I, the, I, the irony of immigrants that like Trump was screaming to like build a wall to keep them out. Those same immigrants that are here love Trump. And I'm like, don't you know he doesn't even like you? Yeah. But it's like their their passion for this American dream. And you just put it into really good words. It's like if you come from somewhere where it doesn't matter how hard you work, you will not move up in the world. And then you move to a country where your work ethic could directly correlate to the success in your life. I guess that is like simple, but it's it's a very beautiful thing to have. It is. And, and the thing is, is always remember... When you get the upside of something, all that you get used to it, and all you see is the downside. All you see is the pro- there are problems, and we've got a lot of problems. <laughs> Let's just be clear. And I don't think we should have pride in the past. I think we should have pride in the ideals and a commitment to making them real. Right? This isn't just feel good. This is we owe the next generation the same kind of opportunities that we've had, and that that people still come to these shores for. I will tell you, it's funny. I, I'm um, partnering with Mike Milken and his um, Center for Advancing the American Dream, helping tell the stories of this. And one of the things that I've been impressed with and just didn't appreciate it, but you you brought this up, is it's an ideal. It's not a place. And 
immigrants carry with that this this commitment to it that is just unbelievable and inspiring. I I really and I'm and I'm sure I'm assuming you'll agree with this is that immigrants typically and of course we're generalizing every culture is different but um but a lot of immigrants like like I would say maybe Asian immigrants they might put more pressure on their children to be like hyper hyper successful, right? Yeah. But the immigrants that I've been exposed to, which are Russian Jewish immigrants who had fled because they were Jewish out of Soviet Union, the 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 drive is family, togetherness, community, and the the ideals are much simpler. They're cleaner. They're not like be bigger, better, become Jeff Bezos. It's much more like have the the essential things in your life that you're proud of. Exactly. You know, it's funny. Um, my son's partner, uh, her family. Uh, fled Siberia. It blows my mind that you have adult children. Yeah, right? Uh, it's crazy. It's, it's, you know, but yes. And and so here's the thing. What I find fascinating is when we start to look under the hood about, okay, well, what do people, what do people mean by this? Like, and, and use our private opinion instruments rather than just what they'll say out loud. It was fascinating, right? We studied these kind of trade-offs, right? Because you can't have everything in life. You, you got to choose. And I'll just say a few things about what we found about how people really think about success that were kind of surprising to me and a little hopeful. So if you look at the top 10 out of 61 trade-off attributes, you would be shocked. It is all about, yes, financial security, not getting rich, but just, you know, you got to have some security, but it's about a meaningful life. It is about having purpose. It is about helping others. In fact, this was really shocking to me. The number one trade-off attribute in general was wanting to do work that has a positive impact on other people. Their view of success is having an impact on other people. The other things that mattered were things like, um, quite literally, like wanting to, I'm just looking at right here, they want to be a parent. People want to have kids, to your point, right? They want to do work they enjoy, right? They want, what I loved is in the top 10, the idea of wanting to be actively involved in your community. Also back to your thing is like, what I found so fascinating is when given the chance to define personal success, it is incredibly pro-social. It's not selfish, right? In fact, mm. the community one was really shocking to me. And, and and I'll tell you why, because it feels like nobody wants to be involved in community. Like it feels like, this whole layer of society is gone. Mm-hmm. Um, well, because our form of community now is on the internet and it's so negative. It's, it, Wait, I'm it's so like happy you're saying that because that's what I wanted expo- to say before yeah, I walked out. We're overexposed out. To, ev- to more people than we want to be exposed to and it's really in a toxic way. Right. But what's the, what is the, sorry, I had to walk away. Josie's home from school. The carpet Ooh. people, are they're delivering her birthday present right now because she's home. I'm like, so I'm like sitting here going, oh my gosh, she's about to see her birthday present. So <laughs> where did you put the pony? That's- well, so, I, was just, yeah. I was literally just to say, is it a horse? <laughs> no, it's gymnastics equipment. <laughs> so they're coming here. Well, that's a bit of a bummer from but, the but did, have, did you guys talk about at all what, we're now living in a time where everyone has a platform. Everyone can feel seen, right? It used to be, you had to really be a certain type of accomplished person to be seen. Now, yeah. everybody has the opportunity to be seen. By the way, I put ourselves in that bucket. Who knows if our clothing line would be as successful as it is without us having these platforms where we get to show you the clothes. It didn't used to work like this. So what is that doing to, I mean, I think we're all now watching social media being 
uh, one of the biggest factors in world events right now. I mean, how that's changing the scope of the, how things are playing out, social media. I mean, it's it's a tool in this war, right? And we can talk about the war later or not, but- We will. <laughs> and we will, and we will. Well, yeah, it, look- it, it's Todd, I really love you. We have the best conversations. It's just it's great. great. I don't know yeah. why we just don't do this every week. But that's, I agree. We'll talk about we that. Should. We'll talk we about should. We should. Look, I think that um, the if we go to the 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 success thing, and to your point about like the role of this technology that Sarah brought up is first, it does platform everyone, and in some sense, you don't have to even earn the right for people to to hear your opinion, right? Definitely not. You know. It, look, at least it democratized it or whatever. But, you know, the central thing that it's driving and it will affect things like the war, but also the lives we live is from the last time I was here. Again, these collective illusions. And I'll show you in this data here, too, which is because everybody can have a voice and they can say whatever they want. And because our brains are going to read loudest voices, repeated the most, are the majority, it can really quickly allow fringe ideas and fringe people to start to feel like they speak for a lot more people than they do. And I think of it as a little like a puffer fish, right? You're just like, look how big that is. Like, no, it's a tiny little minnow, right? And so when it comes to success, you get this sort of outsized effect that ends up having us wildly misunderstanding each other. So for example, out of the 61 trade-off attributes of success we studied, 40% of them, when we asked, well, what do you think most people would say, right? Not just you. 40% of them had gaps between what was true and what we think is true of at least 30 points. <laughs> so you might think something's number one and it would be like 30th, 30th, mm-hmm. 60th. So we are spectacularly wrong about each mm-hmm. other, about something as basic as what it means to live a good life. And mm-hmm. so the, the community one was fascinating because it's the only attribute that is in the top 10 of every single demographic we studied. Everybody wants to be more involved in real life. And I think it is that they're kind of, they've played the social media side of this and realized it is really hollow. It is not community, not in any meaningful sense. Um, We also measured whether you achieved on these things or not. And it turns out being involved in your community out of all the top 10, it is the lowest achieved of any of them. In fact, more people reported being debt-free than engaged in their community like they want to be. Okay. Mm. It's a little crazy. And I'm going to circle back to that later on because I think there's something we can do about that. But a couple of other things that were surprising. People care about character in private. Every single character attribute was it was a top priority and ranked higher than every single status attribute. Wait, like mm. priority in themselves or in what they in what they look okay. They want when they think about success, literally character attributes like being a good person, being honest, mm-hmm. right? Being able to be dependent on these things matter so much for how I think about a successful life. But when you ask what most people would say, every single status attribute ranked higher than every single character attribute. Right. So we're sitting here chasing something because we assume that's what everybody else is going to value. When the truth is we are all valuing character Community. and personal <laughs> personal wealth, meaning like, you know, family, love, yes. you know, happiness. I mean, it says here um, in our printout of your research, the American dream is personal, not financial. And yet we think everybody thinks it's financial. Mm-hmm. You know, it makes me kind of think about, and this is such an LA thing, but there are so many guys in LA that 
that want to date like the youngest, hottest girl that they can possibly find. And you watch this cycle of guys thinking, that's going to be the girl that all my friends are going to be jealous that I get to have sex with. Right. You know, like that's how they value like who to, how to find a partner. Well, that's like the famous Cindy Crawford story. What's the famous Cindy Crawford story? You know, it, it's like, it's it, it's not a story, but like it's, you're on a deserted island, right? This guy and Cindy Crawford, right? It's just the two of them. Cindy Crawford and this guy are on a deserted island. And he's like, oh my God, like Cindy Crawford, like, Okay, I got it. I'm gonna sleep with Cindy Crawford. Sleeps with Cindy Crawford. They once they're you know it's over. He looks at her and he goes, "Hey, can I just can I, can you put on my hat and can I draw a mustache on you and can you just put like I don't know like walk all the way down to the beach, walk all the way down and then walk towards me." And she's like, "Okay," and and he goes, "Hey, bro, I'm fucking Cindy Crawford." He's like, "Okay, <laughs> now it feels now that feels better." That's right. So this is like, oh my if god. No one no, can if, see if, it. if no one knows exactly, if so no one knows, if no one can see it, no, then it's, it's like so it's not funny. even worth it. It doesn't even but, feel good. And what I was gonna say, sorry, Todd, I don't mean to jump in, but it's like when you have the want for everyone to think it's cool. The truth is, is that the guys who are envious of someone else's relationship is not the one who gets to have sex with the hottest girl. It's the one that actually has the happiest marriage. It's right. looking at a guy and going, "Oh, he wants to have sex with his wife. That's a good marriage, right?" He like spending time with his wife. That's a good marriage. That's what people envy. Yes. And and so in a perfect world, if you want to get this right in terms of truly uh, living a successful life and, and being happy, it's about achieving on things that matter to you and having people recognize you for who you really are. And so it's like, imagine for a moment, if the things you deeply privately cared about things like family, things like community, things like achieving stuff that makes a difference in other people's lives. And yeah, financial security. If you realize this is what we all want and think of as success, then wouldn't you have a lot more confidence doing your thing, knowing that this is how we're all going to think about it? But now imagine if we're falling for this vocal fringe that's telling us it's some zero-sum comparative game where we have to like have sex with Cindy Crawford and have no one to talk about it like this. You chase something because you think this is what people will see as successful. Meanwhile, they're looking at you like you're the biggest loser on the planet in private, right? Of course. You get it's so of- funny. Like a year ago, I not even like me. Yeah, I would say a year ago, I woke up one morning and everything from a um, business financial perspective was better than it's ever been, right? Work has been in a place where I could have never dreamed of. My bank account in a place I had never dreamed of, right? And I woke up one morning and I'm like, why do I feel like shit? Why do I not feel successful? Why do I not feel happy? Am I depressed? And I really realized in this pursuit of building this business, building all these things, I really lost contact with my friends and my phone wasn't really ringing and I wasn't getting the text messages of like, oh, we're doing a girl's dinner. Do you want to come? I stopped getting invited to You changed. Yeah. And I realized we are only as happy and successful as our connections, as our human connections, right? And when those are not there, nothing fucking matters. So it's like, that's great. Like how successful things are going, but like, I have no connections right now. It's, and that's to your point. Like, I mean, we are social creatures are hardwired. We have literally parts of our brain dedicated to nothing other than social things. Right. And so 
it's fundamental to our survival, to our flourishing. And the problem with social media is it gives the whiff of it, right? It it gives the thing a bit like drugs where you're like, hey, this, this makes you feel good. No, it doesn't, right? For a minute, but it's not substance, right? You think you're getting it and it's just, it's just corrosive and it's manipulative and it, and it creates these illusions. And I'll give you, let me give you another uh, funny thing that I, I thought anyway, because it matters in terms of what it means to develop your full potential and live a good life. The role of college, and this is speaking as someone who used to be a professor and, and got out, but like- uh, At Harvard. Yeah. At Harvard. Like, yeah. I have, I have not mixed feelings. I've decidedly negative feelings about that now, but so uh, us too. I us went too. to Weber State University. Thank you very much. Um, <laughs> so, I like you're you're not repping Harvard anymore. No, not, yeah. no. Weber State, go Wildcats. Dame Lillard, we're good, right? Um, and you know we don't stand with terrorists. So here's the thing: um, the the role of college, which used to be one of the big three markers of the American dream, right? Get married, have a home, and go to college. So the it's it's now okay it is now ranked this is no kidding out of 61 trade-off attributes in private it is ranked 54th in people's view of success now we think it's ranked in the top 15 for people but 54th and yet everybody thinks the entire point of education is to funnel everyone to college right where we can brainwash you into whatever but like the the thing is is that it's not important to us look do it if you want, but let's just be crystal clear. Most Americans do not see going to college as a marker of success. In fact, what was kind of amazing, um, and my buddy Mike Rowe, remember Dirty Jobs? Um, you know, that he's because he's always been about like, hey, multiple paths, different things. Getting a certification in a skilled trade, like being a plumber, which by the way, good job, pays well, can't be outsourced. That is now ranked. Can't be outsourced is a really good point. I mean, like, right? Like it's a he. It, that is now ranked 15th in people's view of wow. success. Can't say it enough. Vegamore is my current favorite shampoo and conditioner. I know they have a million other things. The 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 growth serum, I think there's some sort of stat, like they sell a thousand of them a minute or something crazy like that because it really does make your hair grow fuller and thicker and more lush and... You know, I'm just all about a brand that can help you grow fuller or thicker lashes, hair on your head, eyebrows, and still be using clean. I know. You know, that is just very hard to find. So um, it's possible. They don't use any harsh ingredients and they don't use any potentially harmful chemicals like parabens or hormones. Most people don't realize that a lot of hair growth uh, products have hormones in them, and there's a lot of side effects that come with that. What's even better is Vegamore's value kit, like the Grow Essentials kit, where you get to try more than one amazing product um, for great savings. And um, the key is really consistency in your routine. So you got to like also have a keep gray at bay routine. So it's a full routine that you do a serum, and people say, it holds it at bay. So sign me up. Okay. So for a limited time, go to vegamore.com slash foster and use the code foster at checkout to get in on Vegamore's biggest sales of the year during their Black Friday and Cyber Monday. That is V-E-G-A-M-O-U-R.com slash foster. The code is foster to get the best deals on Vegamore's line of products. Vegamore.com slash foster. Code is foster. Foster. 
article, Aaron. Article. Why are you saying it's so weird? I don't know. I'm just proud to be associated with it because, you know, I love, I always feel like I love finding companies that are new and doing things that other companies are not doing. And not a lot of other companies are giving you the kind of furniture that Article is at the price point that they are. So I like it. Sorry. No, it's true. I mean, listen, Article, they have such great stuff. And because they cut out the middleman, it is so affordable and they have every type of design that you could be interested in, modern, coastal, industrial, boho designs, mid-century modern. Um, they it's have it all. Very, it's, a, it's a very modern company in the way that, you know, some of these companies, it's like, oh, that'll be 15-week lead time. And then you don't really know when it's shipping and you don't know when it's arriving. Article holds your hand throughout the entire process. You know when your stuff is arriving. They're so on top of it. It's really a great time with the holidays coming up to... Um, Liven up your space, change it up, make it a little cozy. I agree. The holidays are a perfect time for that. So Article is offering our listeners $50 off your first purchase of $100 or more. To claim it, visit article.com slash foster, and the discount will automatically be applied at checkout. That's article.com slash foster for $50 off your first purchase of $100 or more. You know, it's funny because like Sarah and I didn't go to college. Sarah regrets that. I don't really regret it. And I'm I'm in a writer's room right now, right on my show, and some there was one day where we all just started talking about where everyone went to college, and and my co showrunner went to Harvard or Yale, like something. I was like, holy shit, like damn, you're smart. And ever somebody else is like, I went to Columbia, and this person went to here and here, and they're like, where'd you go? And I was like, I didn't go to college. <laughs> now, the sentiment in the room wasn't like, oh god, the pariah in the room didn't go to college. It was more like, wait a second. You didn't go to college and, and you're running here. the writer's room. Yeah. We went to the we went to college. We all ended up in the same place. You're you're the boss right now. Like it it was kind of like, wait, why the but fuck that's did we the go greatest to college? Thing. Like someone wrote me the other day when I was trashing Harvard, like, oh, you wish you you wish you got into Harvard. And I was like, honestly, I I I it would have been cool to get into a good college, but luckily the people that work for me went to Harvard. And I was like, fuck yeah, you know. Can I say too? I'll sell you my degree. I, I, it's not this Ooh, right now, right? She'll buy it. I'm just saying, we'll, we'll talk. I will buy it. We'll I will buy it. And, and, and by the way, I'm sure you'll agree with this. I, I married to someone who loved going to college. He went to USC. He said it's the like best years of his life, best friends he's ever made. But it's the community part of it. <clears throat> That's what he got out of it. It wasn't the education his side. Friends. It was the friends he made that were like-minded. And he became an adult during that time. And like it was right. four years of a community that he chose instead of a community that was sort of like pushed on him. That's right. And I'll just, we, we could all agree. I think, look, when it comes to college, I think the right perspective is it should be an option for anyone. But when we narrow success and its pathway to any one thing, just like if we said college, nope, never, only plumbers, right? That's not good. Like people are different, they're unique, their aspirations are unique. And if we want the best for them and the best for society, we've got to create that plurality of opportunities and stop narrowing people's choices into what we think is best for them. But can I just say the reason why I've always said I regret going to college and the reason I tell my daughter regret, like, regret not going. Yeah, regret not going. There is not because so I can go brag to people like, oh, I went to college or I went to Yale or I went not because of that, but because I, I, I think that I took a path in life after high school that 
was not living up to my potential. I started modeling because I thought that's what I have to offer. What I have to offer is how I look and what my body looks like. And that's how I can make money instead of going, no, I have more to offer. Like I'm going to go to college and I'm going to learn and I'm going to hone my skills of being an entrepreneur and being a businesswoman. And I didn't think that that was attainable at that age. I thought my only way to uh, being able to have, you know, pay a mortgage one day is by modeling. Yeah. So that is why I regret not going your, to college. Your regret is that you didn't value yourself properly. Yeah. Your, your regret is not about college. College would have yeah. represented that you valued yourself more. Yeah. Yeah. And, and truthfully, I, I think had you jumped right there to begin with, you may not have been ready for it. You wouldn't have gotten totally. from it. So agree. The, the path is about, but I think again, to your point, like let's not, let's not overcorrect. Let's just say, look, People have aspirations, and as a society, we should do everything in our power to cultivate the full potential of everybody's gifts. And some of that requires college for some people, some of it doesn't, and it's okay. Yeah. It's, and you should feel comfortable as an individual making choices that are in your best interest, not conforming to the pressure of what expectations are put on you. Um, and I'll just say, look, here, here's why I think this matters, This this topic is... What we see over and over again in this research and in a whole bunch of other stuff we've done is a shift in, in American society toward meaning and purpose as a fundamental part of the lives we want to live. We get that chasing empty things is just exactly that, empty. But there's a common denominator to what it means to be meaningful and purposeful in your life, and it's authenticity. It is being true to yourself and being true to other people about who you are. And I'll show you in the data we had, like, for example, we looked at not just what you cared about, but how you thought you were doing on it. How have you achieved these things? And we found an incredibly strong correlation between the extent to which you achieve on what matters to you and how high of satisfaction you have with your life. Like, it, it is a huge predictor. That kind of makes sense, right? If I'm, if I'm doing stuff yeah. that matters, no amount of success on what other people think matters correlates with life satisfaction. Now, it is a dead end, but it's even worse than that, right? Like, so chasing these illusions because you think other people care about them, first of all, by doing it, you're you're enhancing the illusion. You're proof to everybody else that this is what we care about, right? Mm -hmm. You're part of the problem. And for me, it's not just the personal stuff. You know, again, last time I was here talking about these broader illusions, I believe that the same exact inauthenticity, this unwillingness to be true to each other, is what has led us to this pretty horrific place, frankly, where we are starting to follow along and endorsing ideologies that if you just step back and say it out loud, you're in favor of things that justify the murder of babies? Like this Israel Hamas thing, and I apologize, I'm, I, I just, it pisses me off. I'll just be crystal mm -hmm. there. So cards yeah. on the table. Like it's hard to not talk about it, but so I'm just going to talk about it for a second because I think it's really like we've got some private opinion data in the field right now going right at it with some of the true serum methodologies we have. I am certain from our preliminary data that there are massive illusions center left about what we believe and what we think everybody believes. And we are following what we think we're supposed to say. But I'll tell you the thing that terrifies me the most. And I, I said this last time I was here is if you don't deal with these collective illusions, this generation becomes next generation's private opinion because they don't know that it's a lie. I am terrified and we'll see, but I'm terrified that this youngest generation has actually 
swallowed the lie and truly believes this now. Like that, that is terrifying to me. But can I ask you, can I say, and I've said this publicly, so it doesn't, you know, but can you sort of dive into, because I am of the opinion, and please tell me if you disagree, that a lot of these super far left progressive college students, uh, you know, the people that we're seeing ripping down the photos of babies, the people we're, you know, seeing screaming, you know, death to Jews, because there are a lot of protesters who are peaceful and who want peace and all those things. So let's not lump everybody together. But for, for but the things that we're seeing, I believe this is that generation's sort of, this is not even about children. If this was about children, they'd be protesting for the hundreds of thousands of children dying in Yemen and Sierra Leone and being brutalized and killed and horrible atrocities happening all over the world. It's that, being a part of something. It's being a part of a group feeling seen. If I were to go on my Instagram right now saying free Palestine. I changed my mind. Free Palestine. Fuck Israel. The amount of love and adoration that would come my way, the dopamine spike that would go up from, it's it's sickening. And I think that is what this generation is experiencing. You you are 100% correct. So this is, we care to belong. We, we are wired to belong. We are wired to be part of something bigger than ourselves. It is fundamental to our survival. We talked about last time. I mean, literally, like you get a dopamine reward response when you are aligned to your group and you get an error signal when you think you go against your group. And that's okay. Look, it's good to want to be a part of something. But into that need to belong where we've gutted the civic layer of society, where we don't have a lot of opportunities to belong to things locally, um, where we really actually know people, when you are under illusions, you will do things that violate your fundamental principles. And, and and here's the thing. Because the irony is there could be somebody out there protesting in favor of innocent lives while they are screaming death to Jews. Right. Because- and beating up Jewish people on campus. And you're going, hold on a second. You're out here because you care about innocent people's lives while you are attacking an innocent person. Right. There's no rationale to that. Well, and here and here's the thing. So... We also have a lot of data that people can download it um, on our website about what people think in terms of the basic principles of America. Like, what should we stand for? Who should we be? What do we care about? And let me tell you, across all, like, independents, Democrats, progressives on that side, the right, you know, when you get clear to the fringes, things go a little bonkers on both sides. But, like... Completely, by the way. Yeah, com- both but the, the both like streams right? they become the, the same. streams on both sides are are crazy. They are crazy. Yeah. Aaron and I are just more outspoken about the left because we're left. We're yes. Democrats. So for us, we're like, we're lost right now because our party is fucking nuts. It's not progressive. Like, what is progressive no. about violating basic individual rights and a commitment to that in favor of groups and binary oppressor oppressy ideology? that we get all the way back to Marx. And I don't mean that as Marx had some good ideas too, but like that is a such a foreign ideology, right? Our, our progressive principles, core things, were still about the dignity and worth of every individual. And the left used to be about anti-majoritarian, protect people, mm-hmm. free speech, the, you do you, and there should be a place for you. And now we have allowed an ideology that does make it, that that literally has disdain for individual rights, even though Americans across all political, the political spectrum still rank individual rights as the number one trade-off priority for America. Hmm. They care about equality. 
They care about opportunity. They care about fairness. And you know what? Even the right wants people to have health care, quality education. They want to be able to earn their own success. But I also think that even the, the most staunch gun lover, if you were to say in a vacuum to them, okay, do you believe that a person who is po- poses a danger to society should be allowed to have an assault rifle? They'd probably be like, no, I don't think that they should. Do you believe that someone who is a domestic abuser should have a gun? No, I probably don't think that they, do you think that somebody should go through a process where they're just, their, their basic um, sanity as a person is, is confirmed before they're handed a gun? They'd probably be like, yeah, that makes sense to me. Like that's, we actually, like what you said last time, we believe, we agree on more than we than we realize. You're exactly right. So we have that. It's just what happens is, is certain things, whether it's like abortion, um, gun rights, it becomes binary. Abortion's a big one. There was a hearing recently in the Senate that the, the I don't remember who what, the, what his name was, but one of the Republican senators was pushing back on abortion rights. And the example that he was using, asking this doctor, it was like a twenty-week feed at twenty-week fetus no, or something. No, he was right? saying, "Do you agree with um, aborting a baby moments before it's born?" And she goes, "Well, that's never happened before." <laughs> I, she said, "I don't think that that accurately reflects abortion care." And he's like, "Answer the question." She goes, "But it's never happened. Like that's not what abortion is." So you're only speaking in extremes. Yeah, we we actually this has been a, a, an interesting one for me because we had private opinion data on the abortion issue. And we shared it with Republican leaders in the Senate and the House and saying, there is a lie. Like like Republicans were lying about their wanting to overturn Roe v. Wade. Um, the stuff, it's like, it is not the issue you think it is. You are going to lose every time. And what have you seen? As soon as it goes to the states, Every single time, like cons- Ohio feels like a place that's probably pretty Republican, right? It's very re- like they uh, and they uh, just passed camp- a law to protect uh, abortion rights. Yes, and by the way, most of the things getting passed are actually left of Roe v. Wade. Like mm. so, so it's it's a funny thing that we just got whipped up into this, but like the the problem such is- a such so sad. It's such a waste of toxic energy where we could all like spend our time actually focusing on the real stresses in life. Your kid gets sick. You know, your friend's going through a divorce. You lose your job. Like these are real things that you should put your energy and focus on. These fa- these made up fairy tale issues that we don't need to be dealing with are ruining our lives. Right. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. So on Friday, I had therapy. I did not want to do it. I was like, I cannot, I cannot, I cannot. I have nothing to talk about. I blah, blah, blah. I did my therapy and it is crazy the way that having somebody who is not in your family, who is not a friend and a friend, who is a totally unbiased source can just change everything for you. And we love working with BetterHelp because now that kind of help is available to everybody. You don't need to know anyone. You don't need a referral. You don't need to wait in line. You don't, you just don't. Like this is now- perfect for someone who's busy because it's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient and flexible, suited to your schedule. And it's very simple and they don't punish you for changing therapists. So if you aren't feeling connected with the therapist that they choose for you, you can absolutely switch therapists at any time you want. No additional charge. And they make it really easy. They want you to have easy, accessible therapy um, at a good price and entirely online. And we cannot say enough times how much we respect companies that are helping people have access to um, healthcare like this. And we've said it so many times, there's nobody that would not benefit 
from therapy. Just literally nobody. So find your bright spot this season with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash foster today to get 10% off your first month. That is betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash foster. So learned about this at a lunch, was at the lunch, asked for a cup of coffee, and the coffee was brought to me within about one second. I'm thinking- Why don't you give, why don't you credit where credit's due? Is it Michael Kifas's house? Yes. And I was like, how did a coffee just appear that fast? The way I asked for it, black with sugar. Mm, black with sugar is such a complicated order. I'm thinking, no, but I'm thinking, I mean, this is already brewed. I know it's not brewed because I was, I was just in the kitchen. Come to find out, it's Cometeer. Okay. Mm-hmm. These are frozen coffee pods. When I tell you guys, you associate with frozen with- oh, No, no, no. You're, you're not even saying it. They're flash frozen coffee, but they are- frozen in like, it's like most potent form. I've ever, I stopped myself. I go, I'm sorry, what is this coffee? I had to research it. I had to find out. I was emailing the founder. I was asking to be connected. I'm obsessed. Yeah. They're delivered right to to your door on dry ice. You put them in the freezer. You have a bunch of little frozen pods. You can choose any coffee brand that they use that you know, they have Intelligentsia, they have Onyx, George Howell, like all these different big brands. Um, it's also hundred percent recyclable little capsules. It's so easy to do over the weekend. Simon had his favorite coffee and then he finished it and he was like, I'm going to postmates another one. I said, hold on, let me make you a commentier. And he was like, eh, no, I like what I like. Made him a commentier just to test it out. Obviously he loved it. But that's the thing is, you know, when you have guests over, you have people over and you're like coffee, tea, and you're always praying they don't ask for the coffee one. Cause it takes so long to do now. Yes. Now it's very simple. Oh, you want coffee? thrilling. I'm going to go grab the pod, put it in and that's it. Done. You so. can make hot coffee or iced coffee with it. So for hot coffee, you just drop the frozen little puck into your cup and you add hot water and melt it. Perfect cup of coffee. Or you can customize it any way you like it. You can make iced coffees very easily, lattes, anything you want. It's very easy. Can't say enough good things about it. So the most wonderful time of year just got tastier. Enjoy a limited edition holiday starter pack when you join Cometeer. Go to cometeer.com slash foster for an exclusive holiday starter pack and get a free travel tumbler when you sign up. That is a free fellow travel tumbler when you sign up at cometer.com slash foster. Cometeer.com slash foster. We chase things in terms of a success that actually leave us empty and not very happy. And then it ladders all the way up to because we have not been honest about what we believe as Americans, like fundamental principles, right? We actually allow something like this group grievance idea to fester to the point where it's manifesting as we support a terrorist organization who intentionally kills innocent babies because, and this is the argument, right? Because this group was oppressed and therefore they're moral and anything goes. Like any means necessary. I mean, that's actually what they say. And if any one of these people were the parent, aunt, uncle, brother, sister of a kid, a seven-year-old or a seven-month-old who is still a hostage in Palestine, they would feel differently. And these collective illusions lead you to lose your goddamn mind. Don't you think though, and I also said this publicly, don't you think that all these kids, all these people, maybe not all, but a lot of them, 
They are raging against so much more than Gaza and children. They are raging against their pain, their insecurity, not feeling seen, feeling depressed, feeling lonely on social media, their wages, they can't get a job, they're fucking impotent, they have small dicks. Like, I don't know. They're fucking- Whoa, whoa, whoa. Who's impotent? Look, listen, you're right. Like, we have to create a society that actually allows them constructive outlet. They they want to be seen. They want to grow. They want to contribute. They want to feel like they can succeed. And we're, they don't want to work. I'll tell you that. Well, they don't want to go to work. Then then they need to go somewhere else. But that's okay. Uh, Sarah, work is oppressive. Okay. Going to an office is oppressive. It's not fair. But like, here's what I'd say, right? Um, the common denominator, once again, if you care about not having society on a precipice where we are about to, you can lose an entire society under illusions. And it, it will go away. It will. Um, the same thing that solves for the collective illusions, even at this level, is the same thing that enables you to live the life you want to live. And we're back to this, this living authentically, being honest about who you are. And it's easy to show that. It's easy to say, well, well, okay, it works um, for my personal life. I get it. Being authentic would would matter. Sometimes it feels like, how could that be something that could affect the future, like literally society, like solve this. So if you don't mind. Because yeah, I want to ask, because yeah. sorry, okay. to that point, I was just, Allison was just texting us saying, um, let's let's talk about how we can change so the people actually voice their real opinions and then collective illusions go away. Or is that not possible? And whenever we're it's looking possible. at our phone, it's because we're texting with our producer. It's amazing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, I must've got left off the text. That's fine. It's fine. <laughs> we'll, we'll work on it. We'll work on it. Um, first of all, let me, let me just, it, it's funny because Paying attention to the illusions matter because how you solve for the problem is completely different than if it was actually that we privately disagree. So when you disagree, it's about persuasion. It's about education, right? Under illusions, those things, persuasion, actually make the illusion worse. And I want to give you one example of that, and then we'll go to a good a good one on what we could do. Do you remember the, um, the Say No to Drugs campaign back in the... Mm-hmm. Okay. That was because this is your brain on drugs. Yes, yes. That was because there was a small uptick in first-time drug use for teenagers. I guess not good, maybe whatever. But like, the government kind of freaks out. They spend a billion dollars or more, got the best ad agencies in the country to come up with these campaigns. And it was the cracked egg, right? Yes, it was. Which was totally bizarre. But okay, um, <laughs> from an ad standpoint, it was a runaway success. Uh, the typical American teenager saw three ads a day for six years. Oh okay, just one problem. The government assumed the reason kids were trying drugs is they were interested in drugs. But even back then, there was private opinion data that said that's not true. Kids were skeptical. What they wanted was to belong. Mm. And they were under the illusion that most teenagers did drugs. Okay, so under that collective illusion, mm-hmm. you blitz them with billion of dollars of ads trying to scare them straight. And what they took from the ads was, this must be what we're doing. Why would adults try yes. so hard to convince us? So researchers have pretty conclusively proven that that campaign directly led to and caused an increase in drug use amongst teenagers. Whoa. So bad enough. By the way, they could have, what they should have said is, your parents love drugs. Drugs are so cool. The government and the president exactly. think drugs are the best way to spend your Friday night. Don't go out with your friends. Stay home and do drugs. Everyone be like, oh, drugs are exactly really Exactly right. Exactly right. So under illusions, 
the way you do it is social proof, right? You show, don't tell. And this is why this is really important is it means that when it comes to these big things, whether it's like, you know, Israel, Hamas, whether it's just the broader social issues like abortion, like these things that we're under these illusions, we all have a role in the reveal. And if we're committed to that, and I'll talk about that in a minute, the kind of social change that you can unlock pretty quickly is shocking. And let me give you the the, the example that I love more than anything about what's possible is, and we're going to go all the way back, so I, I apologize. I'm a reformed academic, right? I still have to care about that. So it's actually the Velvet Revolution in Czechoslovakia in the late 80s, 90s. And let me tell you why this matters. Um, it is the only time in history that a people overthrew an authoritarian communist government without a single shot being fired, with nobody losing their life. It's an anomaly. Like Historians just don't understand. Why did that work when other places at the same time, like Hungary and stuff, were brutally suppressed by the same regime? Okay. So what I love about it is not just a success, but, but who led it, which was Václav Havel. He was not a military general. He was not a politician. He was a poet and a playwright. And he wrote this um, satire of communism called The Garden Party. And he puts it on it. And it just mocks communism. But it was so subtle, even the censors didn't know they were being made fun of. So he puts it on. It becomes the Hamilton of its time, like runaway success. And he said he sat there and watched the audience every night. And he said they laughed at all the right parts. They laughed at things you would not find funny if you actually believed in communism. So it dawns on him, what's holding this up is not that we believe in these uh, these ideas, it's that we think we all believe, so we keep going along. So he decides, and by the way, as for anyone that's listening, he published his manifesto where he lays this out. It's called The Power of the Powerless. It's free online, download the PDF, it'll change your life, it'll sound like he's writing to us today. But he, he says... Well, if the problem is the illusion, right? If the problem is that we just think we all believe, then the way forward is this authenticity. We have to get back comfortable, what he called living in truth, because we've gotten used to living in the lie. And so he goes about, he gets mocked. Like it's, it's people are like, this is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. You're going to overthrow people with guns and all the power with authenticity. And, but he, he goes about it. He builds these opportunities, they're called small works all over the country for people to start getting good at being truthful again in small ways. And it builds and it builds. And then by the time the student revolts are going to have a protest going to happen that unlocks all the change, even Havel doesn't realize what's about to happen and how fast it'll happen. Because three months before that, he's interviewed in a international magazine and he's talking about the, the revolution. He said, look, this takes time. I'm committed, but I won't even be alive to see the change. Three months later, he's the first democratically elected president of a free Czechoslovakia. Whoa. A poet to a a president? And I look at that and say, honestly, in all sincerity, if a poet can overthrow communism, think about what we can do right now. Because we have a lot of problems, and most of them are operating under collective illusions. And so I think about this and I I want to like I said I want to I want to come back here when we do this and talk to you actually I want to rope you into this. But here's what I think our velvet revolution is. So we're working on something in a couple of years 
right? We are going to have a conversation as Americans around the 250th anniversary of this country. And it will be a conversation about who we are and where we go. And if it's just a party, that's going to be a disappointment. I think this is the moment where we have to shatter these illusions. We have to reveal for each other what it is that we value and start putting that into action. So we are part of something. It's it's massive. I can't wait to share more. Hundreds of organizations. It is completely apolitical. Politics doesn't get to play anything of it. We are going to reveal our shared values, right? We are going to give people something to do, which is back to what I showed you in the American Dream Index, that we all want to be more engaged in our community and we're not achieving that. We are going to make it possible to have 250 million acts of community engagement. So I think we have an opportunity here. To me, I, I just want to tie this back together. Like It is really important. Every listener, it can feel like the world is just lost its fucking mind. Like like the wheels have all fallen off and it is the forces are bigger than any one of us, but it's not true. It's not true. We all have a role to play and it seems small at first, but if you can find that, that willingness to live in that truth and make it safe for other people to do the same thing, not only can we start living better lives, we can shatter some of these illusions and ensure that the next 250 years of America are even better than the first 250. I really like you coming from a place of solution because it feels like nobody has one. Yeah, just we feel like we're just (laughs) it's like it just feels like the world needs a reset. And that means like wipe us all out. Let's just start over. Yeah, that'll be our plan B. How's that? Careful what you (laughs) careful, careful what you wish for. Yeah, I like your idea better. It's a little more positive. Yeah, I keep saying like. Imagine if, and, and I, I, I don't like playing this whole, like, uh, we have to, you know, shit on men to make women feel more powerful or whatever. But I do, I wonder what would happen if we sent a few women, a few really incredible women over to, over to the Middle East and just said, all right, let's all get together. Let's have a conversation. Let's, let's come up with a two-state resolution, like women, right? Like five women sitting in a room. Um, fuck. I do think, though— and it's just relevant to now, but the conflict um, right now. But if you were to go to half of these kids at these colleges or at these protests who are, you know, I'm talking about the ones that are violent and screaming truly death to an entire population. I would imagine that most of them are really struggling in life, right? Struggling with maybe depression, their mental health, feeling seen, feeling loved, I, I would imagine that most of these people are not living up to any of the values that we're talking about. No, it's, they, this they feel is, alienated, this is just, yes, alienated. Yeah. And um, the thing is, is that's a dangerous combination. It's the incel thing, right? It's the it's it's, the, it's just and the thing is, is that um, and, and we can be clear, and I think we all agree. I'll be the first person to champion protecting innocent people, right? No one's advocating for the wanton destruction of innocent Palestinians. That is not the point. But when we lump it all together, and we literally are uh, the same people who claim MAGA had all these dog whistles, which they did, right, are literally make chanting slogans that are about genocide of an entire country. And nothing tells you you've lost your mind. 
Like you, when, <laughs> That's the irony of screaming about genocide while you're saying from the river to the sea, which literally means wiping out Israel. So never mind that do you, you look care, at the definition you, of genocide, right? Like it's it's it's, the, it's I, I, it just feels like so genocide only matters to you when it's the popular cause and you don't care about genocide against Jews. And it, it's just right. it, it's not logical. And, and and you said this earlier, and I think it's important. Most people protesting maybe protesting, hey, listen, why don't we have a humanitarian corridor? Why don't we have, like, can't we, like, yes, we should have those conversations. And if the other side is, like, not letting that conversation happen, then we should have that conversation, too. Nobody I know, nobody I know wants innocent children anywhere in the world to be lost. Nobody wants that. I don't know one person that wants that. There was a moment where I just realized uh, we we just can't be silent on this. And and I, I hate to be so graphic about this, but you remember the story, and I'm not even sure if it's been verified, but this won't be the point for me, is when they were talking about perhaps a baby being baked in an oven, right? That this was things. And a prominent person uh, on this other ideology posted on social media with or without baking powder. What kind of evil, like evil, and I, I don't use that word lightly, right? We are to a point where because we so want to belong and are so unsatisfied with our own lives that we will endorse truly evil things that if you pulled them aside and talked to them in private would abhor them. It was bad enough if you just follow the group because this is what the majority wants. But it is fucking tragic when this is... Well, the hol- the Holocaust has never been more understandable. Right. I understand now Me how too. an entire country of people can be like, yeah, 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 Jews are disgusting. Kill them. They should definitely deserve to die. It's so clear now it, how quickly people can get there. It's And it is. Again, we are a social species and the things we will do to belong are pretty shocking. Um, and again, if these people knew that the things they were advocating and chanting for were truly only held by an incredibly small fringe, not sure you'd be doing that, right? Not sure that's how you say and, and it's like my own institution, my ex-institution, to, to just uncritically post a, just a, here we go. It's all Israel's fault. Like, it, it's funny. These same people, if, if I said that about a woman who was raped, if I said, well, look at how she was dressed, I would rightly be condemned. Like, well, look how angry he was. I mean, she wasn't having sex with him. So like, he, he had to do it. And so it's like, again, once you realize that we've allowed an ideology to fester under the name of progressivism, which is just anything but that, where it doesn't matter about individuals. It's not about our common humanity. It's about you're either oppressed or you're the oppressor. So if you're a society that's flourishing, you must be an oppressor. And if you're oppressed, anything mm. goes. Like, And it's like, you have to wonder, how do you think that that culture is prominent? How do you think that it's successful? Right. It's because it is it has created a community of people where women can be doctors, where women can be lawyers, where people have personal freedom, where you can be gay if that's what you want. There, there, it, 
that's who you are. There is personal freedom. And so because of that, that society flourishes. You can't punish a society for having flourished. Jews are not like these physically prominent people who are like able to fucking win wars. Jews are people who are like family oriented and 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 it's like an inner strength of a will to survive. And, and and I'm sure I'm not Jewish, but I would imagine that well, it's you basically innate. are at this point. We, we <laughs> welcome like, you. <laughs> no, but that it's like innate that it's in you, knowing that six million of you, a genocide, were literally killed for being Jewish. So it's just in you that that is always possible again, maybe subconsciously. And it's like it's just—it's not that subconscious. And no, it's it's listen. And and at the end of the day. I, I don't understand these people who openly advocate support for Hamas, which is not the same as Palestinian people. This is a terrorist organization whose sole purpose is the annihilation of another group of people. Okay. They're not even hiding that. If you if you actually went and lived there, they would kill you. But TikTok, Todd, TikTok, which is the main news source for an entire generation, yeah. is 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 they are not calling them terrorists. They are calling them freedom fighters. They are talking to a generation going, you are, you don't have equality, you're, you know, your gender, you're this, you're that. Like you need to fight against that. These are for your rights. These are so you can be seen. Yeah. Right. So this generation is not seeing them as a terrorist organization. Well, and, and They're the not. Is, and this uh, uh, you know, it sounds almost like conspiracy theory, but it's just a fact. TikTok is partially owned by the Chinese government. Okay. It's, we know like, it's honestly not, it's not that, it's not that paranoid just, to be thinking that. And, and the thing is, is the ability to manipulate what it is people see can pretty easily drive the kind of illusions we're talking about. Right. And so it's just like, this isn't our technologies, it, they burst on the scene. We weren't ready for them. We've got to adapt to, to, to what this means for how our brains work and how we read the majority. And we're not even talking about, you think about what's coming right now with the incredible advancement of AI, with re, especially, did you just see just barely came out? Incredible and terrifying. Oh, it's, 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 it will be, could be good in the future, but it is going to be bumpy. Right now, we now can create with AI deep fakes that even AI experts can't tell the difference anymore. That is so scary. And that tool is freely available to anyone. And just you watch what's going to come around this election next year. It is going to be a shit show. Like, and here's the thing. There's no technological answer there. It's back to what we've been talking about. Stop orienting and obsessing about what you think everybody else thinks. Because you're probably fucking wrong. Like, you're just, just be you, be oriented to your principles, make decisions based on that, and we'll be fine. But if you want to keep chasing fame and, and adoration of everybody else, you are part of the problem and you will be miserable and we will all be miserable as a result. I really think that we're changing. Um, I met a girl yesterday, like 23 years old. She's like big fan of the pod. And she goes, oh my God. And I just got um, the green pan pans. I did not realize that the food, what you, where you, how you cook the food gets cooked into the food. She's like, I didn't realize that. None of me and my friends realized that. So now we're all buying the green pan with your code. 
Yeah. You can't be cooking your food on pans that um, have plastic on them. And if you're using cookware that is not clean, that is um, nonstick, there is really terrible, really awful stuff. PFOAs, lead. There are so many horrible things. They're called forever chemicals because they never leave your body, which is just so scary. And so Green Pan, they were the first company to do this. They were the first company. They are the originators of creating healthy, clean cookware that works, that is pretty, that is affordable. Um, they By the way, 60-day the- return policy. So I always know when these- never, com- You'll never need it anyway. And the, the yeah. discount we have is actually crazy. Oh, yes. And by the way, use this discount. Get your mom, get your girlfriend, get your wife, get your, you know, your favorite kid's teacher. Get, get, this is such a thoughtful gift. If you bought them a new skillet and we're like, hey, I really care about you. I want you to stop cooking on toxins. Mm-hmm. By the way, not just like a random pan, but like they have really cute sets. I have like a mint green set that I got and it's an amazing price and you get a bunch of things for it. And it's awesome. You know what I have coming is a slow cooker. Oh, that's going to be cool. I don't think you're ever going to learn how to use it, but mom will for sure use it in your house. Yeah. So toss those plastic pans and upgrade your cookware this holiday season with Green Pan. Head to greenpan.us and use the promo code FOSTER and you will get 30% off your entire order, plus free shipping on orders over $99. That's right, 30% off. Head to greenpan.us and make sure that you use our promo code FOSTER so they know that we sent you. AG1 is the number one reason I'm going to just go out and say it, why I am not getting sick. It is supporting my immune system in a way. I mean, what is the common thing? Normally I am sick. Everyone is sick right now. It's the changing of the seasons. Guess who's not sick? Mawa. Oh, Mawa. Mawa is not sick. Okay. I am living proof that this stuff freaking works. You really are. Yeah. In one scoop, There are prebiotics, there are probiotics, digestive enzymes for gut support, magnesium, which is so important, magnesium, B vitamins for energy, adaptogens to balance your body's stress levels, vitamin C, zinc to help your immune health. They just, they have it all. One scoop of your AG1 is going to completely support your immune health, okay? You got, like Aaron said, all the stuff you need in one scoop. Do it in the morning. Why are you repeating everything I just said? I don't know. I just sometimes feel like if I say it, it hits more. I don't think so. So AG1 is the supplement that we trust to provide the support our body needs daily. And that's why they've been a partner of ours for so long. So if you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash foster. That's drinkag1.com slash foster. Check it out. I wanted to circle back. This is one of the questions because we talked a lot about markers for success. And I really wanted to know, like when setting goals for ourselves, because that, you know, having purpose, success is part of purpose, right? Sure. Like that's how you hit certain markers. It's like you go to work, you get a job, you do a good job, then you get a promotion and you want the promotion. How do we set goals for ourselves, which I do believe is inherently part of our happiness, right? Is continuing to move forward in our productivity. Um, without doing it for the wrong reasons, without doing it to like get one up on our neighbor or get attention? Like how do we set goals for ourselves in a healthy way? Yeah, a couple of things. Um, one, we're, we make mistakes on goals. Part of it is you learn really quick. Wow, I did that and that that did make me happy. What was it about that, right? Here's a couple of dead giveaways though. 
if the goal you're setting is is judged by how you compare to somebody else, it's by definition going to be miserable, right? Mm. Because I can win just by you losing, right? So that's a dead giveaway to you. If, if the thing I'm about to pursue is inherently comparative, like bail, right? But 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 what if you're up against another person for a job opportunity? That that happens, right? So if you just said, but if your goal was, I want to win that job, I would say, I think you've probably set the wrong goal, which is, what is it you want to achieve? It's not a, it's not a prize. It's not a, like, it's like, there's something you want to accomplish in life, right? And yes, that particular job might be one way to to do it, but there's no such thing as one-to-one a job is the only way for me to do this thing. Okay. So be clear about what it is you want to do. Like, for example, right, so maybe the promotion is going to make you make more money and then you can buy the house that you want for your family and like it gets you closer to your personal goals. Yeah. But the thing is, is don't orient to the external marker. So I want the promotion. Like, no, focus on the work itself. What is it that it, it like, imagine, ask yourself if no one ever knew, but this is what I do. Would you be okay? Right. And like the work itself has to be the source of fulfillment or else it becomes purely about extrinsic motivation. And so like, it's okay to get recognition for it. It's okay to get promoted for it. It's okay to, look, we all would rather have more money than less. There's nothing wrong with that. But if you are chasing those secondary things, you will be miserable. If you think about making more money, right? Which you say, obviously everyone wants more money. But why do you want more money? Do you want more money because you can buy your mom a house? Right. Do you want more money because your kids won't have to struggle? Because you can live in a better part of town? You can send them to a better school? Or is it for all the other reasons that we're talking Correct. about? So that you can show off, so that people can be jealous, so they can be envious, so you can you know, purchase a hotter wife? Like, what is it? I used to uh, tell my students at Harvard every year, uh, just, to, just to burst their bubble about what it is they're really there for. I, I would tell them, imagine that you could uh, either have the Harvard ed- education, but no one will ever know you went here. You don't get a diploma. It's the Cindy Crawford thing. Yeah. Or you don't get the education at all. You got, you're going to leave and come back. And in four years, we'll mail you a diploma and you can tell everyone which one are you taking and you know the answer. And just, just be honest about what it is you're buying here. Because <laughs> And I think that it's like, the uh, the other thing about tr- the for, for setting goals though, I think this is important. I learned this, um, we talked about this a little bit last time in in the book I wrote on Dark Horse, which is around like success through fulfillment, not just um, chasing other people's vision. When you set these choices and these goals, there's really two questions you should ask yourself, right? Which one of these will be more fulfilling of the options that I'm pursuing, right? The choices I might make, the goal I might pursue, and that's that intrinsic, the work itself. And then the second thing is, is could I live with the worst case scenario? Because all goals have risks, right? So if I suddenly just drop everything and fly to the other side of the country, well, okay, if I'm single and I don't have a lot of debt, if I got two kids, that might not be an option. So it's calibrating what is which option and goal has the most upside for that intrinsic fulfillment. And if it completely goes south, I can live with the worst case scenario. And if you make decisions that way, life's going to be pretty great. So interesting. My I bring up my therapist a lot on here, but... I do DBT I was just therapy. about to bring up my therapist too because he everything we talk about, he goes, does it go back to your values? Does it go back to your, every single problem that comes up? Well, my therapist, Trevor, says um, 
he he constantly reminds me my my homework for this week is to write down any time I feel an uncomfortable feeling and remind myself that it's temporary that it's the fear of being uncomfortable. It's a fear of being embarrassed. It's a fear of feeling shame. It's a fear of feeling regret. You're so scared of how it feels. And he's like, you've had heartbreak. You've been devastated. You've been embarrassed. You've been ashamed in your life. It it all went away. You, you, you are fine now. You have to remember that these things will not kill you. You cannot die from an emotion or a feeling. And you can't blame yourself for feeling it. You can't be embarrassed that you got embarrassed. Like it's not your fault you got embarrassed. It's temporary. And I think that that's sort of the thing that we're talking about here is like, you have to be okay if you don't get the job. Yeah. You have to be okay if the if the person breaks up with you. You have to be okay if the person passes away. You have to accept the truth of life. Also, the greatest the greatest sense of relief as you get older is truly understanding nobody's thinking about you as much as you think they're thinking about you. They're, they're just not. Uh, they're just not. I honestly think a lot of people are thinking about me. No, they're not. Like the amount of time I wasted thinking, oh my God, they're all talking about me. They're all making fun of me. They all think I'm such a loser. There are no one, no one actually no, is. Sarah, people honestly say that about you. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we were going to bring that up, but this is a little awkward. Yeah. Todd and I like literally like he pulled people and they like yeah. all think that. <laughs> it's part of his research. Yeah. But I'd be so flattered if people actually, if if I could be incorporated in Todd's research, that would be oh, amazing. Oh, listen, that's <laughs> happening now. I'm definitely going to. The, you, They're like, who the fuck is Sarah Foster? We can't give you any data on her. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. But yeah, I, I just, I love this conversation and I love thinking about, look, lots of shit going on in the world, but we all know that we want to live better lives. We know, and, and we all have this hunch that the stuff we've been pursuing, it just doesn't pay off. And chasing what we think everybody wants doesn't work. We know that now. And so the real task is getting back to what does it mean to pursue a more meaningful, fulfilling life? And part of that is authenticity, like we've talked about, and, and, and all its importance, both individually and socially. But one of the things that you just brought up, Aaron, was, I mean, if you want to, to really flourish, you're going to have to take some chances. You're going to have to push yourself consistently outside of your comfort zone because otherwise you live a life of just one big conspiracy of mediocrity. Like you are just going to live your life staying comfortable and no one has ever been great being comfortable all the time. And if you realize that that's just the cost, that's the, that's the ticket to entry, right? Know how to set these goals and be okay that look, they're not always going to work out. And most people don't even pay attention. And if you model that, in fact, I love nothing more than to see how people respond when it doesn't work out, right? Your character. So so learning how to do that and realizing if you're going to live your life your way, it means you're going to spend some time not doing what you think the group wants. And that's okay. Yeah. And you're going to have to be on, Yeah. You have to get comfortable we, with that. We should talk so, about your findings on purpose too, because I think so many, like so many, we were, Aaron and I were talking about it before you got on. So like with our company, with Favorite Daughter, right? How amazing, we've always said how amazing to sell the company, how amazing to sell the company for tons of money. And then we have all this money and we're like, yeah, but wait, we really enjoy building the business. That gives me more gratification. The building of the business, waking up every day with purpose, yeah. waking up every day with markers that I'm excited to hit, right? 
if that went away and then here I just have all this money, it's great having all this money. I don't think I would feel as good. You, you wouldn't, right? And you know this from things like people that win the lottery. Yeah. They are actually net negative later in terms of their happiness, usually. I believe that. Something that I've noticed the last couple of years is that, you know, as women in business and modern women, there's a lot of pressure to be doing everything. You oh, yeah. The have, hustle culture. Hustle culture. It's just so intense. And the last few years, you know, when someone's like, what are you excited about that you have coming up? Or what are you looking forward to? And I'm always like, I really want to have a baby. You know, I really want to be a mom. Like, I, I'm excited to get married. And, and people like, are always wanna... like, huh? <laughs> but And they're like, huh? Because it's a weird answer for a modern woman. But then once you say it, then women are actually able to tap into how much they love being a mom and being a wife because that's a huge part of my happiness. And that is a big goal of mine. Like I, that's what I strive to have is to be a mom and to be a good wife and to be close with my family. It's just important to me. And, and once you say it out loud and it feels a little embarrassing to say something that people aren't expecting, but then once you say it, people see the value in what you're saying and they realize like, Wait, they like that too. Well, and here's the funny thing. Even saying like modern woman. So part of what it meant to have an entire feminist revolution is to not, women were actually oppressed, right? Actually denied equal opportunity to cultivate themselves as individuals, live fulfilling lives, make their best contribution. And we all suffered for it. How yeah. sad would it be if all you've traded is one set of constraints for a new stereotype that says, God forbid your view of a successful life as an individual is to have a kid, mm -hmm. right? So it, what we're trying to get to is the full realization of the promise that we started with as a country that we've never lived up to entirely, which is it is about every individual having the ability and opportunity to define, pursue, and achieve their view of a successful life. And by doing so, make us all better off, right? That's yes. the goal. And if we start to focus on that and realize these are our values, these are our shared principles, instead of fighting with one another, how about we live up to that? How about if we dedicate and commit ourselves to a future where this is the baseline and for what it means to be American? And how about we actually live up to the way that immigrants actually see this place, right? We can, yeah. we can do that. It, it's insane. We are the richest country in the history of the world. And that's, we are, we're in good shape. There's nothing about what it means to be American right now that means our best days are behind us. It's completely self-fulfilling. And so it's like, to me, this is why something like authenticity seems so simple and so small. And as we saw with Václav Havel, it can be everything for the future of a country. This is actually the first is time, because Aaron, you talked about this early on about We've never been like patriotic people, right? We're not immigrants. We grew up in Malibu. We've never felt really like, not, of course, we're proud to be American, but now more than ever, watching people incite so much hatred towards Americans. Am I feeling so protective of America? Am I going, how fucking dare you? You are literally in the, in the best country in the world. You can do whatever you want. This is the ultimate democracy. How dare you? Like I, and I've never felt more proud to be American. And, and what, I, what I hope and what we'll push for on this 250th is the thing about America is it's one of, if not the only country that was formed not by blood 
or territory, but by ideas. Fully inclusive ideas about human dignity and about opportunity and potential. If we can rediscover that, like it's not about nationalism, right? It's about upholding these actually liberal values, <laughs> as great as it sounds, right? Personal freedom, personal freedom. freedom. It's about freedom, about community. It's about like being feeling like you live in a society where if I work hard enough, there aren't these arbitrary obstacles that keep me from being successful. And it's like, at some point, we have to stop complaining and we have to start building. Like, because man, you can pick at scabs all day long, right? And and there's only so much value there. What are you going to do about it? How will you contribute? And I'm sorry, like shooting off a, a social media post is not contribution, mm. right? It might be the most... Well, okay, easy. question though. Do you not think it's important on social media if you have a platform to um, stand up for what you think is right against popular opinion? Does that not mm. send a message to other people that like you're standing in your truth? It does. And, Good question. And, here, and here's the thing. One of the things I think is really important for, for you know, folks like you who actually, people do care what they what they have to say is... The funniest thing about uh, self-silencing and collective illusions is when we study how people think, everyday people think people like you would always tell the truth. Because why wouldn't you? You've got money, you've got fame. So they think that that makes you immune to the social pressure when in reality, you actually have more risk in terms of loss of like your business, your, the way you make, like depends on influencing people. So mm -hmm. what we found is people, um, influencers, uh, people who, uh, CEOs, politicians, they are the ones that are most susceptible to illusions and actually the most likely to self-silence or flat out lie to go along with the crowd. But everybody else thinks that must be what they believe because why would they lie? They're rich, they're famous. <laughs> and so I think you do have a responsibility that's asymmetric to everybody else. Um, and, and it doesn't mean you're right. Do you know what I mean? But if people know it, you know, when I, when I hear Erin, it doesn't mean that she's right, but I know she's telling me the truth about what she thinks. I think it's a yeah. really critical example that you set. Todd, what do you think about hustle culture? Because I think a lot of women listening to this and men, we actually have a very big male audience, but I think I wouldn't say well, very big. I think a lot of women listening are, and I've been in this position too, where you have a, you know, you're working somewhere, but you're going, it's not enough. It's not enough. Society deems that this is not enough. I need to be having a brand and a podcast and a this and a that. And if I'm not doing all those things, I'm failing, right? Yeah. How did, how did we get here? And what do you think about that? I think that the hustle culture is sort of the death rattle of the hard work culture, which was like, when when hard work really does translate, not perfectly, but enough where if I put the work in, I, I will capture some of that value. That sort of Protestant work ethic into a society for which it's not really true as much as it should be, um, doing more of that and then patting yourself on the back and just saying, okay, I might not actually pay off in terms of fulfillment, but like, look how hard I'm working. It it suddenly becomes this new signal, this virtue signal of, I'm look how much I'm doing. And it's like, listen, it's not about quantity; it's about quality. Like so fucking true. So step back and think about what am I trying to accomplish? 
I still want you to work hard. Hard work matters. But channel in the directions that are likely to pay off for you in terms of fulfillment, because those are also the things that lead to your greatest contributions to society. And churn and a bunch of mediocre just hustle is not valuable to you. And it's certainly not valuable to us. It's true. So like, let's just say some, a woman is listening. She's, let's just say hypothetically, she's a real estate agent, right? And she's probably listening to this podcast going, fuck, I should have a podcast. I should write a book about real estate. I should uh, start a business where you can blah, blah. It's like, no, be the best real estate agent in the world. Yeah, Sit here. And instead of, right? Excellence like, takes time and it, yeah. it takes almost maniacal devotion, right? Singular obsessions with things that you stick with for a long time. And to your point, when you were saying like being an entrepreneur, what's amazing about it is it sucks a lot of the time. It's hard, right? The things that are most fulfilling are not the things that make you happy at any given time. It's hard work, but you know, you're in it and you're like, you're putting the same amount of hours in that someone who's hustling, spreading their time across 10 different things, chasing every next shiny object that someone they deem as successful is doing, right? That is not how you get to excellence and it's not how you are fulfilled. Find the things that light you up and give it your all. Mm-hmm. Damn, Todd, dropping the mic constantly. But now I need a podcast. That's what I'm hearing. So. <laughs> well, by the way, why don't, why you actually, you're like one of the few people that should have a podcast. Yeah, uh, you really should. I just want to be on your podcast. So I'm just, I'm way more than we should. By the way, Todd well, should co-host with me when you're uh, on your hustle culture life on your Netflix Love show. that. I would love Sign that. Me up. I keep saying I'm looking for passive income these days. I'm looking <laughs> to do less and make more. I love it. I love it. <laughs> Can we talk well, a little bit about? Can up. we talk a little bit about parenting? Oh, I thought Mar- we were. Wi- I thought we were winding down. We're not we're wrapping Why? up. No, it's ten thirty. Wrapping up. Okay. 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 I just, okay I'm still okay. drinking my uh, energy drink. I'm good. Oh. Okay. Great. I'll keep. Um, my should tea. we talk a little bit? Just yeah, because about- you have you had a yeah you have a thing about parenting. Sorry, Sarah. I'm saying what you're saying, but he has it here. Parenting matters more than marriage. Tell us about it. <laughs> that was crazy. Uh, it's. In the trade, well, I'm not married. I'm not married, so you know, for me, that's like you know, and, and I, I, I have kids. We're 17 years coupled with two children, but we are not married. I, and this is the trend, which is interesting, because for a very long time in society, there was a pretty solid sequence, right? You get married, you have kids. Instead of this, what we're seeing is a shift in trade-off priorities. Where, look, it's not that that getting married doesn't matter. It just isn't. It does not matter nearly as much to people as having kids. So having kids, being a parent is the fourth highest ranked priority in in, in aggregate for a successful life, which first of all, is kind of cool, right? Because parenting is incredibly self-sacrificing and yet they still care about it. Um, and yet, what is it? Like a 15 spots lower? Like being married is ranked 19th. So it's not nothing, right? Mm. It's, it's, That's so shocking to me. You, Aaron, I feel like every woman we know is like just desperate to get married. Well, I don't think that's true. I think that, I think it makes sense to me because it's, I think it's probably a reaction to the pressure for so many decades to get married and so many generations of people who married someone so young, they weren't really necessarily able to choose the appropriate partner for them um, or they stayed married for a long time to someone that they weren't happy with. You know, to me, uh, as a married person who's happy to be married, it, 
I think it's so funny that we all pretend that like marriage is even a thing. Like when someone says, well, marriage is this or marriage is that, marriage is just a fake thing. You're, it's just a relationship. It's all it is is a relationship. The the marriage- Well, there are tax comes incentives. Down. There are a lot no, of tax incentives. No, 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 no. Married. But I'm saying like when someone goes, oh, marriage is hard or um, marriage is best when you do it this way or that way. Marriage is not a thing. These two people are having an individual, unique relationship with each other for a long time, hopefully. That is all it is. Yeah. Mar- I don't like being married. I like being married to Simon because we're meant to be together. I wouldn't I wouldn't like marriage if it was to somebody that I wasn't attracted to. Like marriage is just this like fake thing. You're just in a relationship with someone for a long time. So it's just about who you choose and how you build a life together. Yeah, I actually think this is coming back to people wanting to live authentically and, and be themselves. And you've got you've got norms that come into marriage about what it means to be a husband, what it means to be a wife that are shaping those interactions. And they are increasingly not consistent with what you just said, which is what we want is to have committed relationships where we get to maintain our autonomy, we get to be our ourselves, and together that actually improves our lives. But it's not about just plugging in as, well, this is what a wife does, this is what a husband does. Exactly. Right? And so I think that's what you're seeing, this sort of reaction. So it's not um, a disinterest in being in committed relationships or, yeah. you know, it's just, it's just like, the institution of marriage needs a little bit of updating to reflect our values. Yeah. I, I what do you totally think agree. is the most important thing for children to witness in a marriage? Like, what are the values? Like, what are the, uh, do you know what I'm saying? I do. Yeah. Uh, respect. And respect. It, it's simply this, right? Uh, it's, uh, there, there's a uh, John Gottman, who's probably the foremost authority on marriage and stuff. He's the godfather of relationships. That's right. And him and his wife. Care- he has a very good book that our therapist, our couple's therapist told us to read called The Seven Principles yep. to a Happy Marriage. It's a great book. And and what I, I found fascinating in that research was that the sign of a good marriage or, or, sorry, or, or a sign that things were going wrong is not when people argue, right? It was- It's when they stop talking to each other. Yep. It was- Ind- Indifference. That's right. It's indifference, right? And so we often think that you have to present a certain way. It's like, no- there is a way you treat one another, whether things are going well or things are going really poorly that children see. And what's important about that is like almost anything can be achieved when there's a a commitment to dignity and respect of the other person as an individual. So modeling that respect in in good times and bad, I think is the single most important thing you could do because that's just not about marriage. That's the way you're going to show up in the world and treat people day in and day out. Mic drop. I agree. I agree. It's so funny. We think about all like, you know, for us, our parents got divorced when we were really little. And, you know, I don't think we really cared that our parents weren't together. It was like, we didn't have that. So we didn't really need like, oh, I wish they got back together. Like parent trap vibes. No, we never wanted that. We just wanted them to be nice to each other. We just wanted them to get along because there's something about these two people together is what made us exist. But I look at them and they want nothing to do with each other. It makes you have self-esteem issues thinking about like, oh shit, the only reason why they have to even talk to each other is because of us, sort of like as a problem. If you ju- if we just saw them being respectful and getting along, that would have gone way more, you know, would have gotten, we would have gotten so much more out of that than if they had stayed together and stayed married, but stood in the kitchen ignoring each other. That's right. And, and it's, you know, respect creates a stability that um, kids desperately need. 
right? That 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 sense that that things are okay, um, that you don't create the kind of stress and anxiety and sort of conditional like, is this all just gonna go away? You know, like, and I and I just think it's like it's weird, and maybe I'm just getting older, but it's like there are some basic values that smart people have thought about for centuries um, that turn out to still be kind of important, right? And that uh, maybe, just maybe, in our age of crazy technologies and hyper-connectedness, those values might be more important than ever before. Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay, guys, I do have to... I have to go soon. I'm sorry. I have to, I, no, I have to go. Okay. I have to go to work. Um, do you have... Okay, I, le- I don't know. I, we can just ask each one more question or wrap it up, but... Do you have a lot of hope for this generation? I mean, do you have, because I'm really terrified that this is the generation, and I don't want to single people out because we have a lot of 20-year-olds listening who are fantastic people and who I'm so excited to, you know, lift us up and carry the torch. But there's a lot that I'm terrified of. I'm just... I think that, that, that it's not all lost. I mean, I think that people, uh, we have to do the work of creating rising expectations, um, giving that frustration and angst an outlet that is constructive and good for them and good for us. And if we're honest as a society, I blame the boomers or whatever. I think they trashed the whole country, but like the... Oh, great. You know, so it's not our fault. No, I, look, but we can build it. And the thing is, is if we continue to think that being against something is the goal then we will continue to destroy ourselves. At some point, you have to be for something, really. And you got to start building. And so I, I do think, and I, I like, I've put this 250th as a clear marker because if that passes without us genuinely using that opportunity, like, I think we we could be lost. But let's make this real. Is that the year 2050? It's it's the 2020, 2026, so it's the 250th anniversary of the country. Uh, so 2026 six. is the 250. Yeah. How's the math? Where's the, where's the math on that? 1776 uh, Declaration. Got of it. Yeah, I know. It's I had to think it through too. It's the the but the idea is there's a built-in reason to have a conversation, right? So we're not trying to whip it up out of thin air, but let's use private opinion. Let's use everything we have to connect their deepest frustrations to their highest aspirations. And actually, like, link those in a way, like, and then the thing is, is they become, they have the zeal of comforts. Do you know what I mean? Like, if you channel that energy into real justice and real progress, like, watch out, right? And I just don't think we have any other choice. And so let's just, let's do it. And I, I, I so I feel weirdly hopeful only because I know how many of these problems sit under collective illusions and I know how fragile those are and I know what's been possible historically when you shatter them. So that's what still gives me hope. Okay. I love this. Todd, I just had a random thought because I'm so fascinated. I mean, you can't really ask someone what their like political affiliation is, but you feel like, are you like a libertarian? I am a registered independent. I would call myself a classical liberal, which, because libertarians get a little nuts. Like they get- Yeah, they're pretty extreme. No, I believe in institutions. I believe uh, in these things. So I think- I believe deeply in the dignity and worth of every single individual. And I believe that individuals should have the right to self-determination. And I believe that you can create genuinely abundant, positive sum society 
if you actually create that space and conditions for people's pursuit of their own self-interest to benefit other people. And I don't believe, in fact, and, I, and not just politically, but I, I don't believe in top-down control. I don't believe that any one person is smart enough to make decisions for everybody else all the time. And I think we're living through the end of that era where this paternalism, where people are like, don't worry, we've got it from here. Right. And I think you're seeing a deep frustration. In fact, we have a lot of data on this. Americans are deeply resentful. They believe that this thing is so unfair. But when you get under the hood, and we'll come out with this next year, the unfairness isn't just, it's not about income inequality, which is what all the public narrative is. It's about the fact that they're sick of being controlled. And so I, I believe in this, but I, I, so that's what I care about. How do you build a bottom-up society that has a deep commitment to the rights and opportunities for every individual um, and create the conditions that allow that to benefit everyone? If you were to go back well, to one we decade. Agree on that. Sarah, I mean, no, this is, no, I just, it's just, just, it's just I gotta go. This is, it's, it's a, like, it'll take one but second. that was my wrap-up question. What was one, okay, what was one decade that you could go back to where you felt like things were, where society was functioning at the 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 highest level? Were the, the Nixon years, the Clinton years, the, what years? I actually think that um, when you come, I'm going to go all the way back. I wasn't alive, but I'm going to tell you. What, I don't know. Why are you saying it hit the, gener- the heat for him to go back? Me, He's only I was been alive, alive for uh, a couple. I, no, no. Anyone to just go back to. So if you look at the the 40s, now listen, there was bad for a number of reasons. I'm just going to say from a, a broad societal standpoint, we had come out of the Great Depression the uh, James Russell Adams had just written the book called Epic of America, where he coined the term the American dream. In 1931, his publisher said he wanted to call it the American dream. And they said, nobody wants a dream. They want bread, right? And he makes this full-throated defense of what this dream was. And, and it's not about money. It's about this thing, about my ability to realize my fullest potential and, and not, you know, unencumbered by like accidents of birth and circumstances, he said. It captures everything. It's a bestseller in the in the Great Depression, and it it focuses people's attention not on fighting over you know a, a shrinking pie, but let's multiply that. And it, it contributed to the amplification of what was called the high school movement. This will be this is the one, but it's important. The high school movement led to the mass education of people at a level that no one had ever done in history. No no society had ever done. We built a high school a day for 22 straight years with no federal oversight whatsoever. Community by community, people realized the economy had changed and what it meant to have opportunity meant you got to have different kinds of skills. And they used property taxes to build them and they built these things and gave people opportunity and it unleashed an era of unbelievable prosperity, but most importantly, it was the smallest amount of inequality that we've ever seen in our country. And it wasn't because we had redistribution efforts. It was, it was because we truly unlocked opportunity for every individual. Um, and so I just think of it as like, I don't think we've been perfect in the past by any stretch, but if we get back to our principles, like what do we really believe? What are our, our values? And how do we live up to those given our the affordances and constraints of our time, all these things? We'll be fine. We'll be fine. Um, but if we keep going down this path of trying to control each other more, of actually like tribalism and scapegoating, which is just, then we are doomed. 
And so that's for me that that I'm obsessed about that right now. I'm going to spend the rest of my life. I, I just think we can't be this can't die on our watch, right? Like this this American experiment. Like how crazy is it? Just sorry, I know you got to go, but it's like the very idea that people could govern themselves was ridiculous, ridiculous. No one had ever done it. Athens tried once and they killed Socrates and became a military dictatorship. Like we take for granted what a unbelievable accomplishment that is. Let's not that that let's it doesn't die on our watch. Let's take it and improve it and make it better. I think most Americans, I think most Americans' values align us more than we realize. And I think we need to unify. And I think if we really understood that, that our values are the thing that actually does connect us all, it, you know, it could change, it could change a lot Mm -hmm. of, um, and, and we, well, this is so great. So thank you. Hey, I love, love talking. Let me know. uh, Todd, you're the best. We love having you on and you're going to be a great co-host when I can't be here. Thank you so much, Todd. See ya. You're the best. So great to see you again. You Bye. 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 Thanks for listening to this episode. Hope you liked it as much as we did. We have a big, big, big request for you. We, we do. Please go leave a review. It makes a big difference for us. I was about to say, Aaron, don't sound so desperate, but we are a little desperate. We are a little desperate. We need you to leave a review. It's really important. And we don't ask you for anything. Two seconds. By the way, send a screenshot of your review and maybe we'll post it. Okay. Maybe we'll call you. Maybe we'll... Why are you rolling your eyes? Just every episode is going to say that though. Great. <laughs> okay. This podcast is executive produced by... Can you not use that voice? I'm sorry, I'm trying to sound... Yeah, but you don't need to make it sexy. This podcast is executive produced by... Do you have a normal voice? Yeah. Aaron Foster, Sarah Foster, and Allison Bresnick. Okay, I'll take over. Our Our associate associate producer is Montana McBearney. Our audio engineer is Josh Windish. This show is hosted by Simplecast. See, that didn't sound nice. That sounded great.